Maybe that'll work. Um, I, before I begin, I want to mention a couple things. Um, right now, as we are here gathering today, the team from about 30-something people are on their way to New Orleans to speak and um, do mission work in New Orleans. And we want to we wanna remember and pray for them. Uh, we have a business meeting tonight at 6, if anyone wants to come to that. And our, at our business meetings, we talk about some of the different ministries of the church and uh, other things. So it's really helpful for people like to know what's going on. Anyone can come and, and listen. And then Wednesday night, we have our uh, second part of our Connect class. And our Connect class is when people are interested in joining the church or just want to hear more about um, some of the beliefs of the church and some of the ministries we have going on. It's a great opportunity if you want to come to that on Wednesday night at 6.30. And um, yeah, that's all the, announce, the announcements I wanted to mention. Let me figure this thing out here. Let me pray. Father, we just pray that you would be with us right now and you would speak to our hearts. And uh, there are important matters that your Bible talks about that we wouldn't be aware of and we wouldn't pay attention to if it weren't for your word. So we just want to thank you, God, that you've written this down in the Bible. You've given us all this information and we find it so challenging. And a lot of times it's really deep and we don't understand, but a lot of it's very simple. And we do understand, but then we have trouble obeying. Uh, because we're, um, we just need your, your Holy Spirit. We need you to help us overcome the, the temptation to just go our own way and live our lives apart from you. So we pray you would be present and speak to us, God, and help us um, in our hearts to just desi to desire more and more to live for you and to experience what it is to live close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, last week we kind of paused. I decided I would pause for at least two weeks and talk a little bit about this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And in that passage, it talks about um, spiritual warfare. And some of the terminology it uses is talking about strongholds. Though we walk in the flesh, meaning we're living in this world, the physical world, we're not waging war according to the flesh. So we live in this world, but there's another realm that we need to talk about and learn to understand as Christians, and it would be the spiritual realm. So all of us are aware of the physical realm, but a lot of times people aren't very attuned to the, the spiritual realm. And, and Paul wanted to make very certain that people understood this, and one of my callings as a minister of God is to help people understand this. I'm continuing to learn more and more about it. And then he talks about God's power. The weapons of our warfare are not a flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And so there's strongholds in our lives, and we want to know how do we overcome those strongholds. There's things that keep us from serving God, honoring God, um, take us back into our past or have a negative impact upon our lives. And we want to know how to overcome that. And God is saying, I have uh, equipment. I have resources. I have um, instruction to help you learn how to get past some of those things that have been um, hindering your walk with God or maybe even kept you from knowing God at all. And therefore, we're going to take a look at those. And he describes these strongholds or the, these weapons have the ability to destroy arguments, um, like arguments or lies that oppose God's truth and every lofty opinion 
raised against the knowledge of God. So there's a knowledge of God and there's things coming against our ability to understand and receive the knowledge of God. And those are sometimes strongholds. And we want to figure out how do we knock these strongholds down and run after God. And at the end of our service, I want to go ahead and give you a little bit of a heads up. At the first service, at the end of our service, I told everyone, be ready, that if you have something I would love for you to share, if you have a stronghold that God has helped you overcome in your life, um, in order to display that our God is actively working in our midst. And I don't know how many people, eight maybe, I don't know, just a guess, maybe eight, eight people at least, stood up and shared, and it was, it was pretty moving to hear what some of the people shared about how God is working in their lives and how they've changed, be alcoholism, pornography, um, lesbianism. Um, it was just so cool to hear people share some strongholds in their lives and just broken. And some of them are still continuing to, every day they know they need to, if they want to continue walking with God, they need God's power and they're continuing to seek and struggle with some of these things. So I'm hoping that God is going to, through the service, maybe God will lay on your heart and say, I feel like God wants me to share an area where I've come to see victory so that maybe someone else who's struggling currently with that could find hope. And you're going to have the opportunity to testify to God's goodness in a way that might inspire someone else to run after God in a way that maybe they thought they couldn't because there was this thing keeping them from it. So we're going to take a look at that. But becoming a Christian reminds me a little bit about going to the eye doctor. Um, when you can't see real well and you don't really know it yet, and you think because it's, it's normal for you, like your, maybe your eyes gradually got worse and worse and you, you really didn't have any idea how bad it was and you weren't really seeing very clearly. You go to the eye doctor and they stick your head in that little machine and go click, click, click. Is that worse or better, other one, click, click, and you, your eyes start going focused. Oh, that's better. Oh, that's worse. That's better. Oh, that's better. And then they do the other eye and they, they adjust it and you go, wow, I can see the little numbers in, in the machine and it helps you. And then, I don't know, let's just say a week later, you get these glasses uh, come in and, you, and you, you put them in and you go, whoa. You walk outside and you go, wow, I didn't realize there was that much um, color or that much. Um, you look at plants and you go, whoa, I just thought they were they were blurred, but there's all these, you start seeing clearly and it's exciting. You're like going, wow, I can see things. And the Word of God is like that. When you become a Christian, you've been looking at things from a very naturalistic perspective and you see the physical realm, but God begins to open your spiritual eyes. And you look around and go, wow, I never noticed that before. I never knew about these spiritual things. I only saw a physical battlefield and physical realm and God begins to open your eyes. That's what becoming a Christian is. God begins to teach you that there's another realm. And it's a spiritual realm. And He begins to give you eyes to see things that you never saw before. And it's very challenging. And it's very important as Christians that we begin to see that. God wants you to be aware of spiritual warfare. There's a great battle taking place between God and Satan and is at the center of the storyline in the Bible where Jesus comes to rescue us from sin and death as our great deliverer. So the whole Bible from beginning to end is a story about a conflict that's occurring between God and Satan. 
Satan is the great villain, the antagonist. And Jesus is the hero, the protagonist. And human beings with their eternal souls are the prize both sides are fighting over. The most valuable thing in this world is the human being. Because we are made in the image of God. We're more important than crocodiles and whales and baby eagles. And we're more important than waterfalls and water and all these things because we are the image bearers of God. And the story of this book is God rescuing people. A, 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 a world of people, mankind, that rejected God early in the story. And God's running after us is the storyline. And that one, only one hero could come and rescue us. And that would be Jesus. And it's the story of how Jesus enters into the story, into humanity. And he becomes our hero and he goes to the cross for us where he defeats Satan. And then he sets up the rest of the story until he comes back and defeats all of evil. And so that's the, the great story of the Bible. And this story begins in the Old Testament. And I want to mention just a, four passages in the Old Testament that give us a picture real clear picture. And the first is in Genesis chapter 3 where Satan comes as a snake and a serpent and he deceives Eve. And that's where the story starts. And then in, there's a, a... And you really need to understand Genesis 3. So important to understand your Bible. And there's another story in Job that gives a very clear picture of how Satan and God operate. And the story of Job, God invites us behind the curtain and we get to experience a conversation between Satan and God. And Satan comes to God and says, Hey, you know, God says, Hey, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, Well, he's not, he's not much. As a matter of fact, you let me have a few days with him and I'll, I'll get him to curse God and denounce you. And so God grants Satan the freedom to attack a believer, Job. And he afflicts him with physical, emotional harm to his family, to his possessions, his home, everything. All his worldly Possessions are under attack. And God monitors this and He lets us see it because it gives us an idea of the kind of struggles that are playing out in this world. There's another example that I really like in 2 Kings 16. And Elisha is able to see a spiritual battle taking place that no one else can see. There's a battle taking place. There's an army, an enemy army approaching Israel and they're going to fight. And everyone sees only the, the natural realm. And God opens the eyes of Elisha and he sees that beyond the physical soldiers, there's actually this, this realm of spiritual soldiers. 
that are going to determine the outcome of, of that battle. And in 2 Kings 16, it says, Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. If you and I had the ability, we could see that there are players that we don't normally see in the physical realm. They're, if our eyes were open, we might see in a, right here in our room, we might see a spiritual, spiritual beings. When we're moving out about our community, we might see spiritual beings. And there's one more Old Testament passage I wanted to mention, and it's Daniel 10. And Daniel's had this great dream, and he's frustrated because he can't understand it. And he's like, his head hurts. It was like, you ever had something that's kind of, as they say, blowing your mind? And if you want something to blow your mind, it would be the vision that Daniel had. Now, Daniel writes down it, and we have some of it, but Daniel got to see it in, in a vision form. So he got to visually see what is written down for us, and he was trying to understand it, and he was like, Lord, I don't understand. And so God sends Michael, the angel Michael, who is described in this passage as one of the chief princes in the angel's army. And so to say that there's one of the chief princes, it's like chief meaning he's pretty high up in the order, which means there's an order and there's um, like generals and captains and, and God has an order. And there's an there's a order recognized in Satan's realm and there's an order recognized in God's realm. And so one of God's leading angels is on his way to help Daniel, who is one of God's leading characters in the divine drama at that moment. At that moment in the world, in world history, Daniel was one of God's uniquely appointed soldiers. He had a very important role. And he sends Michael one of the leading angels to inform this human being. But before he can get there, he, um, angel uh, Michael is knocked off. He has to go address an urgent situation. Like he gets a message from God. Hey, I need you to go here before you go meet with Daniel. And it says that he has a 21-day encounter 21-day battle with the prince of Persia. And so we have this incredible story behind the scenes that no human being would ever know of. This kind of stuff is going on every single day. No one knows it because we're not attuned to it unless God would reveal to us. But I just want you to see the playing field. You, you feel it a little bit? Are you kind of seeing what I'm saying? It says we live in the flesh but our battle is not just a fleshly battle. There's also a spiritual realm. And there are weapons and players in the spiritual realm. There's God and His army, the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of armies. And then there's Satan as the general or the Darth Vader of the evil. And he has armies and generals and captains. And there's this very real, this isn't a game, and the Bible doesn't say, oh, and isn't that cute? 
It's like this is very real. And one of my jobs as a minister is to help you see that this is the intensity of what we're, what we're dealing with here. So um, that's kind of an Old Testament glimpse. And if you and I could, if I could just mention um, in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus taught about this. And we see this played out in Jesus' life. Like, when, remember when Jesus was born in Matthew 2, and it says that um, Herod decided to kill, he started killing babies. Remember, remember that story? Herod started killing innocent babies because he was trying to kill Jesus. Where did, that, where did Herod get that idea? How did something that evil take place? It's because Satan was trying to eliminate Jesus as early as possible, a spiritual war. There was something going on. What Herod did was evil. We go, well, where did that evil come from? We follow it back to the great battle taking place between God and Satan. And then in Matthew 4, when Jesus was baptized, and Jesus' baptism is sort of his ordination service, and he's establishing his ministry. Jesus didn't need to be baptized for sin because he wasn't a sinner. But he was ordained into the ministry that day, and he identified with sinners, of course, in his baptism. But I don't know if you thought about it, but Jesus' ordination service really was when he was anointed by God. And that's what they did to Old Testament prophets and ministers. And he was anointed by God. And then he goes straight from his anointing, entering into the ministry, into 40 days of consecration. And so Jesus spends 40 days fasting and praying. And right in the middle of his praying and fasting, guess who shows up? So don't think that because you're praying that Satan's not going to come after you. As a matter of fact, he'll come right there. He'll come right into your attempt to consecrate your life to God. And before you can even finish praying, he is coming. So don't you think the spiritual warfare isn't real? Why do you feel that what happens sometimes when you have this high, spiritual high, and you're like, well, why did I just feel attacked? It's because Satan wants to stop you from consecrating your life. He wants you to break your vow. He wants you to fail in your new commitment to God. And there he comes, barging into Jesus' ministry. But guess what? Jesus was ready. And Jesus knew how to do battle. And Jesus knew how to weld the sword of the Spirit and the sword of God's Word. And so then when Jesus begins to do His ministry, He said, hey guys, when you pray, He gave the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer has two things that sometimes gets um, missed, that people don't always tie these two things together. And one of those things is they don't always see the kingdom uh, content. And the first thing is, is He prays, your kingdom come. So he's focused on the kingdom of God. And then the second half, he's praying against the, the worker of the dark kingdom. And he says, deliver us from the evil one. And so you have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness clashing. Even in the Lord's prayer, as you pray every single day, you need to say, Lord God, help me to fight for your kingdom today. Equip me, prepare me to fight for your kingdom. And, and deliver me from the evil one because he's going to tempt me and come after me. And so every day, the way Jesus modeled prayer was to make us mindful of this spiritual battle taking place. And 
Then we have, uh, wow, this one's crazy. When Jesus was setting the table for the first communion service ever, Jesus is preparing the Lord's Supper. He's moving from Passover to the Lord's Supper. It's a holy, holy moment. And guess who shows up? Guess who comes in into the twelve? The twelve are sitting there, and guess who comes and finds a, someone who's really not kingdom-focused? And Satan comes and whispers into, into Judas's ear. It, he doesn't just whisper in his ear. It says he enters him. In John 13, 7, Satan entered into Judas, and he led him down the trail of betrayal and suicide. Do you know Satan can come... He doesn't worry about the door being closed. He comes into gatherings that are intent on focusing on God. He, you're not safe in here if you're not with Jesus. If you come into a church service, just because you're in here doesn't make you, mean you're safe. You're only safe in Christ. Jesus comes. Satan doesn't mind going into your prayer closet. Satan doesn't mind coming into church gatherings. Satan will come while you're singing praise. Satan will come while you're, while you're questioning and wondering about God. He's very well prepared and we need to be prepared to meet him. So I'm just going to read a few passages in the Bible where Jesus is our, reveals himself to be the mightiest warrior and, and most spiritually aware person that's ever lived. And so through Jesus' ministry, I, I, I counted about 25 different passages in, just in the Gospels alone where Jesus is combating spiritual powers of demons, demonic and satanic power. Jesus is just combating. In Luke chapter 11, 14, he was casting out a demon. He came against that stronghold. Jesus was casting out a demon and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the crowds were amazed. In Mark 8, 16, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. In Mark chapter 1, 34, he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. He was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. It wasn't time for that to be revealed yet. So the, Jesus in his authority commanded them that they couldn't speak. In Mark 1.39, he went into the synagogue like in a service. He went into a, a church service. He went into the synagogue and he was preaching and casting out demons. What an odd service. What an odd mixture of things taking place. He's preaching the word of God and casting out demons in the same setting, same service. In Luke 4.41, demons also were coming out of many, shouting. Not the people shouting, the demons were shouting. Demons were actually verbally speaking in a way that everyone could hear them. And they would say things like this, You are the Son of God, but rebuking them, He would not allow them to speak because they knew Him to be the Christ. In Matthew chapter 8.32, Jesus just simply said, go to the demons. And they came out and went into the swine, into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. So 
Jesus, with a word, simply said, depart. And the demons had to obey. And he's not only displaying his power, he's delivering someone from demonic possession. And the demons go into these pigs and commits the pigs to doing what the demons want, and that's to kill, steal, and destroy. The pigs commit suicide. <laughs> they go raging, running into the river, and they all die. And everyone's like, ooh, we don't want to deal with spiritual stuff. And they're like, Jesus, leave our town. We're, we'd rather have the, the devil than you stirring things up. They'd rather have demons than Jesus because they were afraid of the kind of things that Jesus stirs up when He comes. And just like in a church, there's churches that don't want Jesus stirring anything up. There's churches like, no, no, we just want peace and calm and nice stuff. We, want, we don't want to mess with demons, though. We don't want to do spiritual warfare. We just want to get saved and go to heaven. And Jesus is like, no, no, when I come, I save people, but I also stir people up, stir things up. And that's what he's saying and that's what he's teaching. Um, in Luke chapter 7, 25, Jesus went to a Gentile woman, a Syrophoenician woman who kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Somehow she knew that her daughter was, had a demon in her. And so she comes to Jesus and says, please, Jesus, save my daughter. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to explain. What, I don't know what her daughter was doing, but I'm sure it was, it was something that she recognized. This is, this is beyond just bad behavior. There's a demon assaulting my daughter, and she carried that child to Jesus saying, Jesus, please help, help me. Please deliver my child from what's going on. In Mark 16, 9, Jesus rose after He had risen. After, this is after the resurrection. After He had risen early in the day, the first, He had first appeared to Mary Magdalene from whom He had cast out seven demons. Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her until Jesus delivered her. And now she's one of the first people to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. What a radical change had occurred. And then the Pharisees didn't have any explanation for Jesus doing this kind of thing, and so they say, oh, well, he must have a demon. He's like the head of demons. And the reason is they didn't know how to deal with demons. They didn't cast out demons. And therefore, Jesus had this power. They couldn't explain it, so they want to dismiss Jesus by saying, well, he must be a demon too. And that's what will happen when you start messing with spiritual stuff. Even people in the church will begin to say, y'all are crazy. We're not into that. We just want the Sermon on the Mount, which is totally not true because the Sermon on the Mount is the very passage where Jesus said, teach us to pray, deliver us from evil. Anyway, Jesus isn't all about nice little clean cut Christianity. He's in the war. Okay, so, um, well, there's more. Um, and let me go back now to this passage. Over, see, I want you to see it this way. Everywhere Paul went, 
He wanted Christians to understand what Jesus had taught him. Jesus confronted evil. And Paul was now a Christian. And Paul was confronting evil. And Paul wanted his disciples, just like Jesus wanted his disciples, to know about the evil, to really know about the battle and not be naive. And so everywhere Paul went, he taught them what Jesus had taught him about spiritual warfare. So when Paul wrote to the people in Corinth, he had already told them back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, be careful because Satan blinds people's eyes to spiritual realities. And he says the veil needs to be lifted. And so then when he gets to chapter 10, he's a little bit more um, in, informative. And he says, not only does the veil need to be lifted, but we're in a war and you need to know what our enemy's up to and you need to know what weapons the enemy's using and you need to know what weapons are available to us and what God is up to. He's like he wants them to be really informed and to stop Satan's lies and then over in Ephesians chapter 6, he's telling the Ephesians the same thing he was telling the Corinthians. Like wherever Paul went, this was his message. He's like, hey guys, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And Jesus Christ has defeated Satan. But Satan is real and he's still working. And he's going to come against you, especially now that you've taken up the name of Jesus. He's going to come against you. He's going to come against our Lord Jesus. So he will come against you. You need to know what he's doing. And then in Ephesians 6, he elaborates a little more than he did to the letter to the Corinthians. But his letters were written to be dispersed. But it's so interesting. When you read one of Paul's letters, everything that Paul says in any letter is intended for all believers. And so all of Paul's letters are for you. And Paul, writing to the church at Webster, says you need to know what Satan's up to. And he calls them the schemes of the devil. And you need to put on the armor of God. You need to know what the weapons are available to you. And you need to be ready so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And as the devil aims his fiery darts at you, he calls them fiery darts. And as he aims his very unique and specific arrow at you, you need to know, well, what, are, what is my strategy? How do I, his darts are deadly and captivating and harm people. And so he's writing and he says, in Ephesians, to put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Therefore, having he gives them the equipment. And he says that our battle, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. So what I want to do now... Um, is, is I want you to think about what are some of the strongholds? What are some of the ways that Satan has tried to take you out? And have any of you had any victories? 
How many people have experienced strongholds? You know what I'm talking about. And the rest of you have too that didn't raise your hand. <laughs> You're just like going, I don't want to raise my hand. He might call on me. Um, I get it because that's what I'm going to do now. Because I really want you to walk up to this microphone. Because there's people here in, here in this room right now that are in strongholds. And they don't think there's any help. I think maybe three or four of the people that came to the mic last service were weeping. In gratitude for what God has done for them. And some of them did not believe that it was possible that they could be saved. Because that stronghold was strong. And there were people sitting here who were dealing with every stronghold mentioned, wondering, can God save one like me? So I'm going to call upon you, if you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and some of them have not been set free yet, some people are not set free and they're not become a Christian yet and that's a stronghold. They're just religious. But they don't really know deliverance in their lives. And they need to know that God can deliver them. And there's other people in here that are going through things as Christians and they've got this baggage they have as we call in Celebrate Recovery, hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And they just have habits, addictions for God's sake. And for the sake of the brethren, will some of you walk up to this mic and say, you could say the simplest thing, alcohol had a stronghold on me and it was destroying my life and Jesus Christ has set me free. Can you, can you do something like that? Can you do that for love of God and love of your brothers and sisters? And we're just going to take a few minutes and I pray that some of you who just raised your hands will walk up here. You don't have to say much. God would use you and the victory in your life for someone else who doesn't believe that God is still saving and delivering people. Will you do that?